0: Welcome back to the Konbini Pop anime podcast. I am your host, everyone's favorite gang star, Leah. And I am the sadly ineffectual stand, Katarina. <laughs> ineffectual stand? Yeah, in reality, my stand ability would be like one of those really bad ones. That's like, it looks like a blobfish and it would just be like, Oye! and really my power would be to just disgust you until you leave the room. Honestly, that sounds like it would be real. That sounds like something Araki would create. You'd be like a side character? Yeah. All right, Araki, you can use that. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Go for it. You don't have to pay her royalties. That's a free idea for you. You can call it Holy Diver, because blobfish come from the bottom of the ocean. Wow, that's really good. If you're tuning in, that means you must have heard our part one of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, part five, all about golden wind. And the saga of Giorno Giovanna. At least I hope you listened to that episode before you came here. If not, go listen to that or you'll be lost. If you're new here, Kombini Pop is an anime and manga podcast that seeks to edutain anime fans old and new. By reviewing shows, we hope to shed a little bit of light into Japanese culture, into the anime and manga industry as a profession, and also kind of just like get into nitty-ditty details. Like, why does Giorno Giovanna have a boob window in his outfit? I don't know. It's called fashion, sweetie. Look it up. No. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, ain't wrong. Did you know, Katerina, Mm -hmm. Bruno Bucciarati's little black negligee looking aspect of his outfit is not a negligee, but in fact, a chest tattoo? I'm sorry? That, yeah, you know the part in his boob window that kind of like- Yeah, yeah. That's a chest tattoo? Yeah. I feel a little cheated. I feel a little cheated. Um, wow. I thought all this time it was just fashion. Maybe that's why he's got a titty window in the first place. Because he's like, yeah, I paid all this money for my cool looking tattoo. and You think I'm not going to show it off 24-7? Wrong. That's exactly what I thought as soon as I found out. I was just like, whoa, that's a tattoo? Nice. I mean, if I had a tattoo that was like covered by clothes all the time, I too would specifically commission tailored clothes that would show it off. I feel like it's only fair. But Bruno was wearing outfits like that since he was a child, because in the episode where his father dies and you get his backstory, he's got that titty window at the funeral. It's the same outfit, but in black. (laughs) A tasteful, a tasteful titty window for funerals. Yeah, sometimes you can have a little titty window at a funeral. As a treat? Yeah, as a treat. (laughs) To make yourself feel better about your dead dad? Yeah, why not? Damn. (laughs) People mourn and grieve in different ways, Katerina. (laughs) Yeah, some of us simply cry or or place stones on top of graves. Others feel the need to begin to express themselves through titty windows. I mean, whatever you need to do to get through it. I'm not going to judge you. Speaking of beautiful bodies... (laughs) Last episode, we didn't get to talk about Hirohiko Araki's artistic influences that were especially apparent in his creation of Golden Wind. So something that's incredibly iconic about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure that we didn't even talk about because we just we just ran out of time are the Jojo poses. Yes. I, th- I said that stands were arguably the most iconic thing about Jojo's. I was wrong. It's the poses. I would agree with you. That's what people know about Jojo. It's the incredible contorting poses of these beautiful people. Yeah. They all look like they walked out of Vogue, a Vogue photo shoot. And you're like, why are you posing at that in real life? Nobody does that. Only people in fashion magazines do that. But that's the exact intention. Araki has stated that he loves how the bodies twist and turn in Italian and Greek sculptures. And when... You know, you can tell by looking at it, but when he says it, you really can see the influence. Because if you go and you look at classical sculptures, every single muscle and every single fiber of the body and even the cellulite and the dimples of the skin are highlighted. And all these, you know, great heroes of old or villains of old, depending on the statue, are in these like incredibly dynamic and forceful positions. And like Araki really captures that in his work. I agree. I think that it's, it's pretty evident from like watching it, especially like you said, referring to the way classical statues and art twists, like they're never just standing there. It's always twisted. And I think that's because when it's contorted in weird positions, you really get to see how honestly how beautiful their muscles are. That I think part of it is like to admire the beauty of the human form. If Araki was doing this to, like, make us ogle the human form of, like, Giorno and Bucciarati and Nabakio and all the other characters, uh, he succeeded because, like, you can definitely see how they're strained and how they're emphasized. I mean, that would be my guess as to another reason why they do this. Yeah, and I also didn't mention this in the last episode, but in his reference library and the interviews that I saw, you can see that he has old Vogue catalogs. Okay. I've seen the comparisons online before, but you could look them up. He will literally copy poses from old issues of Vogue. He really has this ability to capture a sense of weight in his artwork. You can't necessarily see it as much in the anime because, you know, animes are moving pictures. But, you know, Google the manga sometimes really is just a very talented man he definitely takes a lot of care in his in his presentation of people like every every character is always posed in a unique way so all his characters are extremely visually interesting and one of the things you learn if you go to school for animation is that it is the importance of silhouette Araki has silhouettes down to a science if you were to black out all these characters you would easily be able to tell who Giorno is from Bruno, from Abakio. Like everyone looks incredibly different and it's a feast for your eyes and it's incredibly refreshing in an industry where a lot of anime characters tend to be same face. Like you can look at Araki's work and you know that that is Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. There is no mistaking it. And that's something that I really appreciate about this series as a whole. And I'd also I'd also say that I like that their personalities in my opinion translate into their outfits into into the colors that he uses. Uh, For instance, Giorno, like, it's very formal and laid back. Like, he wants to be a person in a position of power, but he's also bright enough where he's like, I am a good person. I have a lot of resolve. The color that he wears is purple, aka the color of royalty. Like, he aspires to be the gang star. Like, it's obvious. He's the character who, the one who comes out on top. Bucciarati is very, like, he's the black and white one. He's the one playing all the chess. He's the other one who's, like, very elegant very put together you've got Narancha, who is very much like he's not he's not dressed like a slob because none of them are dressed like slobs but like, he's the one who i think is the most wild in his appearance he really is the wild child of the group and i think it translates into his outfits and the color of his outfits i like to think so i have a bias abakio is my favorite character i absolutely love Leo abakio he i love my goth king <laughs> Um, there. And I headcanon that Abakyo spends a good, like, three hours in the morning getting ready. Because he's so polished. Like, I like to think he really takes care with his purple or black lipstick, depending on what art you're looking at. Also, he covers his body in baby powder in order to put on that leather uh coat there's no other way oh my gosh there's no other way Italy's hot very hot very humid you will get sweaty leather is a mistake although those those italians walking around in full leather outfits know something you don't and you will never learn <laughs> i wish when we went i had no more italian i could have asked someone because i would have loved to have been that really fashionable person or that guy at the airport that was in the full gucci tracksuit Do you remember that Yes, I do. Wasn't it a whole family? Yes. They have, listen, listen, Italians just have an ingrained sense of fashion. Fashion is a very important part of their culture. It always has been. Leather has been a very important aspect of Tuscan culture, especially. I think to make a show set in Italy where fashion isn't like a huge factor is impossible. And Araki got that down. He visited Italy prior to making part five. Oh yeah, you can tell. You can tell that he went around and took reference photos, learned about the history, learned about the culture, because watching that show is like being in Italy. I want to say he definitely had maps of the place when he was illustrating and, and, and sketching out the environment, because the environment, the backgrounds, are so true to the real cities and the places that the characters go to. I was very impressed by his attention to detail and accuracy. Something else on the topic of fashion is that the outfits in part 5 immediately I could tell were references to a Versace catalog. I literally went on the Versace website because it blew my mind to look at the clothing. Bruno Bucciarati's outfit literally looks like the current collection as of recording July 16th, 2020. It literally looks like this collection that is on the Versace website that is black and white and gold. It was just so funny to me because I'm thinking... These mafiosos are out in the hot Italian heat, dressed in head-to-toe Versace. Can you imagine? Yes, I can, because I saw all of part five. They went and did it. A major motif of part five is the ladybug in connection to Giorno Giovanna, And his ladybug pendants from far away look like the Versace Medusa heads. And it's these little details that kind of bring life. these characters you know maybe it wasn't intentional for part five to emulate versace but it did and i like that so araki considers the characters in part five to be quote normal sized versus the previous protagonists and villains who were who were huge (laughs) if that's your comparison then sure giorno is normal but everyone i've like shown a picture of like i've gone to people and i've been like look at this does this look like a 15 year old boy to you does this look like a 15-year-old a half-Italian, half-Japanese boy to you? And every single time, the answer no has been no. protagonist actually looks like they're 15. I mean, look, I haven't seen the show, but Yu-Gi-Oh looks Is 15 His name's not Yu-Gi-Oh, his name's Yu-Gi-Oh? Well, it's yugimoto you learned something new you might think this is a shtick that we're we're making up it's that Katarina knows nothing about anime and i have to educate her but you heard it here first she thought yugimoto's name was Oh. this is like talking to your grandmother and like trying to explain uh. anime to your grandmother why did he lick that boy in the middle of the fight grandma it's the homoeroticism that araki is trying to build up to but but that doesn't seem sanitary That's the perfect segue for talking about the actual plot of part five. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head. Part five takes place in 2001 and centers around Giorno Giovanna, a half Japanese man living in Naples as he has a dream to be a gang star. Now this was never clear to me. why gang star? So I want to say at the time Iraqi was listening to a lot of rap music okay and he just wanted to kind of embody that feeling. okay continue. becoming a gang star is essentially becoming the Godfather, the ending of the entire series which again, for those who are new to the podcast, we are a very spoiler heavy review series. So if you do not want spoilers for part 5, turn back now. That being said, the ending of the whole entire series essentially ends like The Godfather. Yeah, specifically part one. I actually thought that it might be implying that he was evil at the end, but I wasn't sure. No, Giovanna wants to end drug use in inner cities. He's a good man. (laughs) Which is a lot like in The Godfather. Vito Corleone is like, we are not getting into the drug business that kills kids. Wow. We're just gonna continue running guns. It's just like Francis Ford Coppola wrote. It's kind of funny you mention that because Really thinking about the series, we don't see any of the money making endeavors of Passione and the entire like mafia network. Except for the protection racket. The protection racket you do see, because I remember towards the end during like the flashback episodes with the boulder guy, the old man goes to Bucciarati for like, I need you to do something about this guy that killed my daughter. So you do see that aspect of the business, but that's like it. (laughs) You come to me on the day I'm trying to eat my lunch in peace. With my titty window. (laughs) And you ask for what? Revenge. But I agree. Like, how do they make money? Polpo is in jail and he's a capo. How, how does he get anything done? But yeah, so Giorno's whole whole mission in life is to become the, the new godfather gang star to stop the selling of drugs, which is ruining Italian families. And killing kids. I think that's the most important part. And killing kids. That's literally how he wins over Bruno, because he's just like, what, you are okay with killing kids? And Bruno's like the mom of the group. Just like, yeah, this is kind of shitty. You're right, Giorno. You're right. Let's take down Passione. Yeah, that's, it was literally like a two second thing. I love the beginning because the beginning is, oh, uh, Giorno Giovanni is just like a, a kind of shifty guy who <laughs> swindles people out of things. He tries to steal his suitcase and he ends up killing that dude, Leaky Eye Luca, because Luca's a creep and he and he kills him, like, of course. And as soon as Bucciarati like, attacks him on the finiculare, he just flips a switch and he's like, I will not kill you because you saw the drug marks on that boy's arm and you felt pity for him. Yeah, Bruno's just like, yeah, you know what, Giorno, you bring up a good point. It's like up until that moment, Bruno never thought about it. Even though when they kind of go into Bruno's backstory, you kind of see him thinking about it, but I guess that's because the story has progressed far enough to where you can like know that it's been on his mind for a while. Even though, in like the first time you meet him, you're like, wow, that came out of nowhere. As we said in the last episode, Giona Giovanna is related to the Joe Stars because he is the bastard son of Dio Brando. But Dio has Jonathan, Joe Starr's body, so Giorno has two daddies. Like I said before, Dio's just going around, having sex, having kids, and using Jonathan's sperm. You know, it's really weird. We don't pretend to understand it. That being said, we never see it, but Giorno Giovanna's gotta have the star on his back because all Joe Starr's got that star birthmark. Araki thought it was important to make Giorno related to Dio by a bloodline. And this emphasis on bloodline connection to Dio was how part five started. Araki asked himself, this is just such a great quote. You know how there are people who have been sad their whole lives? That's, that's literally the theme of Oof. part five. Specifically the sadness of being ostracized by a society and having a sense of justice. Yeah, that was every single character's backstory. I was amazed how every single time that a member of their group was uh, elaborated on, it was like, oh yeah, uh, this this kid's family just up and left him and they all died. Or, oh, this kid's dad and mom got divorced and then his dad got killed by drug runners and he was left all alone. Or, "And this guy's a cop. This guy's a, co- a, a dirty cop who realized too late the penalty of that. And now he's angsty and turned to the mob, but the section of it run by teenagers when he's a grown man. Bruno's a grown man too. Yeah. Oh, Bruno is a grown man. Right. You're right. He just has a horde of children. Yeah. Bruno and Abakio are mommy and daddy. Yeah. What? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, Abak- I guess Abakio like a dad. He's like cold and distant and will pee in your teacup, make you drink it. That's a dad thing to do. I'm going to prank you, son. I loved that scene. That's such an iconic scene. I knew what that scene was before I even watched part five, because I've had a meme in one of my reaction image folders of Giarno drinking the tea, but instead of it being tea, it has Clorox bleach on it. Oh, should we, should we have a conversation? I mean, (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, you also don't have a stand that can turn your teeth into a jellyfish that'll just absorb all the liquid, (laughs) which, by the way, of all the outcomes of that scenario, I would not have guessed. Oh, yeah, that's the solution. I remember we were watching it and we both screamed. And you had seen that episode before me and you still screamed. I just I love it. I love the idea that Giorno was just like, you know what, Abacchio? Fuck you. I'm going to drink this teacup. Because Abacchio, as much as I love him, he just hates Giorno for no reason. Yeah, I think the only reason is that he can tell, I think he can tell that Giorno is there to eventually surpass Bucciarati. Because like, it's obvious from the first moment that Bucciarati is not the one who's going to end up in power. That's so sad. I love Bruno. So the Deuteragonists... In JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, part four and part five are my favorite parts, as was revealed with my Rohan, Medite bias, and now my Abaccio Bruno bias. These Deuteragonists are just, they're written so well. And I feel like Bruno really steals the show from Giorno. Like Giorno's just like, I have a dream. All right, that gets old real fast. He exists to inspire the others to rise to the uh, occasion. But that's what a good leader does, isn't it? Like a good leader fosters your own sense of courage and your own spirit of resolve, which is what he keeps doing a lot with like Mista. I love Mista's crop top. That's totally unrelated. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good crop top. If it was made, I'd buy that like sweater and I'd wear it out. Back to the show. So I really enjoy the whole montage. Not really a montage, but the series of events that led to Giorno actually joining the organization and meeting up with Polpo. But the challenge of keeping the lighter lit and then the whole fight with Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath is such a cool stand. I he really loved is. his yeah. power and I loved his design. It's actually kind of scary. I was like, wow, how, how would you beat that? Like if you encountered that? And then of course- Giorno does, but like that was a very intense battle. And I liked Black Sabbath's design because he looked very medieval with his large... Is it a bishop hat? It looks like the hat Frollo wears in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It might be like a judge's hat because... Ah, yes. That's what it is. I loved the whole dramatic cloak thing. It was great. After the the fight with Black Sabbath, Giorno using his deus ex machina stand turns a banana into a gun, and Popo dies. And that's how you meet the main cast. Our boys, the Great Ones, Leone Abacchio, Narancia, Guido Mista, and Panacota Fugo. This is when the show really starts, when they go and try to search for the boss's fortune in Capri. He gets a message when Bruno becomes the capo, and he's like, we gotta go to Capri and do this thing. And then it turns out that the reason that they're there is to pick up the boss's daughter, Trish. Trish. I have to say, I really liked Trish because in the beginning, she was kind of just like a brat for no reason. But I mean, the first thing you do see her doing is acting as a janitor. So, So it's not like she's not used to hard work she's probably used to being on the run and being confused and all that other stuff. But she still has this air of superiority and nobility. It's so funny where she's like, I need you to get me this very fancy spring water. Bye-bye. I like how her character progresses. And I enjoyed her relationship with Bruno. You could tell that Bruno really cared about her and wanted to protect her and took his orders from the boss really seriously. Really did. I mean, from the from the part where like they go to drop her off, and the events that follow in the elevator, where he accidentally is left holding her hand, you can tell, like, it is uh, something breaks in Bruno when the boss goes to, like, off his own daughter. Thing goes very, very wrong inside of Bruno, where he, like, cannot fathom why a father would do that to his child. And I think it's because he had such, like, a close, loving relationship with his own father. He's just disgusted. <laughs> he's absolutely shocked and you can see it and they replay it in the opening theme song so to know that it's important for Bruno's character arc just in case you weren't clear before we even get there because you know by that time there's some there's there's a major thing we got to talk about while Bruno and the gang I'm not even going to call them Giorno and the gang while Bruno and the gang are listening to the boss's orders and going on these missions there is a hitman team in the Passione organization that is trying to figure out the identity of the boss. Because a major story beat is that nobody knows what the boss looks like. That's how good the boss is, that you don't even know who the boss is. Just that he exists like a menacing ghost. In fact, I thought the original twist was going to be that the boss was like some secretly low-level person. That you've like met along the way. Yeah, I thought like it even be the old man who was guarding Trish. I thought maybe he was going to turn out to be the secret boss. And it, it would he would come out of the shadows, like clapping his hands very slowly. Well done, Bruno Bucciarati. You fulfilled my task. Giorno would be like, maybe the real boss was the friend Stop! we made along the way. Stop. <laughs> but that's not how it played out. Ugh. And the train fight with Prosciutto. And I loved the Grateful Dead. I loved it. He was one of my favorite stands because I was so impressed at like how evil that was. For people who didn't see the show and, and who I guess are still hanging around despite the spoilers, his stand is that he can literally just like suck the life out of you and you you really quickly age and just die. It was shocking to see like these little tiny like fetal babies that look like old men and like they're crying over their mother's corpses and I was like, oh my god. I think it's interesting that, you br- that when you brought up that fight because I feel that fight came very dangerously close to you kind of sympathizing with the villain in terms of um, prosciutto's brother for a very brief point in time you feel kind of bad for pesci when he thinks that he has to rise to the occasion to be the gangster that his brother is when prosciutto was like dying pesci really tries to honor his brother and even bruno like at one point is like you know like i got to admire that you are secretly more deadly than i thought you were good for you But by the end, he's like, oh, God, I hate you. I have no respect for you. I'm sorry. Die, trash. It's very funny. Yeah. And then, like, after that, oh, my God, that's when you get melone. I hated the baby face, Stan. I hated that. I thought that was disgusting. Just, like, the whole idea that the baby's, like, Bruno's child. It was Bruno's child and that woman she she had in his baby and like didn't have this baby because like it grew out of like the back of her neck or something. Yeah. So like Malone's stand, for those of you that haven't seen part five, is essentially like a computer thing that could inject like organic matter, could take organic matter, I'm guessing, and inject organic matter into humans. So somehow is able to use Bruno's DNA and then insert it into a woman and then get her pregnant. But, like, it comes out of her neck. I don't know. It's bizarre. It was... Uh, ha, ha, ha. But, yeah, like, that was disgusting. And then, of course, like, the, the baby ends up, like, killing the mom and then uses his father's DNA to go track down Bruno. Except Bruno's not even the one who deals with this bullshit. It's Giorno. Oh, my God. He takes out Giorno's, uh like, voice box? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Foul. But, you know, Giorno's stand can just make a new one. It's for two reasons, because one, I mean, his stand users, the stand's ability is like to create life, which I feel like that's a very big umbrella that you can fit things under. Uh, creating life is very, very vague. I mean, some stands are just more useful than others, like Beach Boy, not very usable. Yeah, like it's it's a fishing rod. Good for you. But with the golden wind, life is huge like that. That's such a like a very vague thing that like, oh, I can I can create life from any piece of inanimate whatever, and I can take it away and I can change it into whatever I want. It's almost overpowered. And I feel like that's why Jorno jo- uh, hangs back. He doesn't do most of the fighting. In a way, he he does issue the most divine punishment of all. That's true. That brings me to my, my second point that his uh, his stand is based on the Prince album Golden Wind Experience. His Prince bias is very obvious. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings us to to one of the most pivotal moments of the season, which we already thought, talked about a little bit, which is when Bucciarati and company arrive in Venice and they have to take Trish to the boss, And we get our first look at King Crimson. I cried. I cried with that fight. I I cried so hard because spoiler, 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 spoiler. Bruno gets his ass kicked. You know, the episode before or two episodes before, you know, Mista almost dies fighting Ghiaccio and I cried like a baby. I thought Mista was dead. But you know Mista lived. And then Bruno's fighting the boss, and I didn't think that there was going to be another double fake-out death. Oh my god, I cried. Would he, like, he just, he busts a hole in Bruno's chest. It was so fucking sad. But then Bruno lives. But why is, uh, why is Bruno stepping on this nail and not feeling it? Or why is he catching his hand on this sharp object and not feeling it or bleeding? Because as soon as they confirmed zombie Bruno, you knew that Bruno was going to die at the end somehow. Like, he wasn't going to be a zombie forever. There's no way. Like, even for Araki, that's too much. If Giorno, the one who can grant life eternal to everything, is worried, then you know that even even his deus ex machina is not enough to save the day. I wonder what happens to Fugo at the end. I wonder if Fugo rejoins the organization after Giorno takes over. I'd love to see the look on Giorno's face, because he's like, hey, you- <laughs> Narancha's dead. Narancha died. All your friends are dead? Uh, And you weren't there to help us. And maybe they'd be alive if Purple Haze came out and, like, gave some viruses. I feel like I wouldn't be able to turn back up at the organization knowing that. Like, if I found out that this usurper took over the whole mob uh, and all my friends were dead, because, like, there's no way he wouldn't know. He'd probably go into hiding or exile and just be like, well, I'm here continuing that tradition of being sad and ostracized my whole life. Yeah. But, you know, Fugo's leaving makes way for one of the best parts of the show, which is Trish getting her own stand. Spice Girl? I loved it. That was great, because what I loved about that was that, of all the stands, Trish's and uh, Diablo's stands are the ones that seem most like reflections of their inner psyche. Like, they- with with um for example like Mista's Sex Pistols, Mista! they <laughs> God, I I knew that was coming, I knew it was coming. But like with with the Sex Pistols, you you go into it knowing okay, like yeah, they're all technically um pieces, a psychic energy made flesh. But the the bullets have like their own personalities apart from Mista. Golden Wind feels like its own. Uh, strange omniscient being um sticky fingers seems like this other person spice girl tells trish like i'm the stronger part of you uh you're gonna do what i say <laughs> just the stand ability to make things rubbery and the way that iraqi you know conceptualizes what rubber can do like the whole thing is like uh, if you want to like really generalize it it's like oh i can make things soft And it's interesting because, like, you know, oh, she's a girl and, like, she's soft or she's weak. And really, like, she's one of the most powerful ones in the group. She has the third most useful stand in the group. Yeah. You have, you know, the golden wind that can just do so many things and heal people and bring people back from the dead, question mark. And then you have sticky fingers, which can, you know, create portals to different places that can disconnect things using zippers. And then you have Trisha's stand, which can because it can make things soft, it can make parachutes, it can create shields from bullets. Like that that is such an interesting way to use the concept of quote, make things soft. Yeah. At that point of the series is when we get introduced to Doppio. Doppio is probably one of my other favorite characters. I really liked the concept of Doppio and du- Diavolo. And for those of you who don't know Italian, Doppio means double, right? Yep. It gives it away the twist immediately. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you you bring that up because like you know how like Diavolo's stand is is King Crimson. It's a uh, dopio and diavolo are reference to the King Crimson song 21st Century Schizoid Man. Look at that. You're educating me now. <laughs> <laughs> and like the art from the from the album, like in the court of the Crimson King, is very much like when he has the what's it called? The the little head that pushes through his forehead and can see the future in his bangs. Oh, King Crimson's such an ugly stand. I hate the little face. It's really disgusting. I hate the little face. It's gross. But I like how Dopio I, I really like Dopio picking up the frog and just being like, mushy mushy. I remember when I first thought, I was like, what are you doing? Where you just go, lo, lo. is that phone ringing? Lo. And I have to wonder how humiliating is it for Diablo to be like, oh my god, this this version of myself is so stupid. Is Dopio the version of himself that got Trisha's mom? That's the one thing that I didn't really figure out. I think so. So does that mean that Dopio fucks? Uh, Dopio must have fucked at one point or another, but no longer because now Dopio is crazy. <laughs> and, and I mean, another thing, where does Diavolo come from? Like, I know that his mom was in prison and all that, but like who got her pregnant? She was in prison for two years in a woman's prison. And... How? What is that? Who is Diavolo's father? We will never know. Who knows if that gets answered in later seasons? That's totally possible. I don't know why it would, only because like, I feel like it was a very self-contained thing. Uh, I don't see people going back to Italy to consult with Giorno Giovanna for any reason. Oh yeah, no, nobody knows that motherfucker exists except maybe Jotaro. <laughs> that aside. And this is the part of the series that's just like really ramping up. Like As soon as Dopio is in the picture. Every episode is like bam, 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 something to Yeah, Cuz cuz Dopio has the fight with my favorite antagonist, Risotto Nero. I love Risotto. He's so cool. Yes. And his his Stand Metallica was so cool. I was like, "Damn. That is a uh, hardcore." Yeah, I genuinely liked the concept of Metallica. I thought it was interesting how Metallica was able to make metal objects just appear out of the iron in your body and around you in the environment. It's terrifying. It's sad, though, because they build up to Risotto big time. Mm -hmm. And Risotto just gets his ass kicked. (laughs) In Risotto's defense, he's the only one of his uh, squadra that takes on the boss. Everyone else takes on, like, the gang, right? Everyone else takes on Bruno and, ev- and Mista and everybody else. And Risotto is the only one that ends up accidentally fighting his boss. <laughs> Which, I don't know if that's fair, considering. I feel like everyone else would have gotten their asses handed to them in, like, two seconds. As opposed to Risotto, who lasts for a two-parter episode. Like, he almost kills the boss, because Dopio is an idiot. Yeah, I guess Risotto does get closer than Bruno. Diablo's not hiding when he faces Bruno, but he has to hide inside of Doppio, And that could have actually been it. That could have been the end had Metallica just pushed it a little sooner. And honestly, I don't know how you lose that much blood and get that that cut up and not die. But I guess that's just an anime. (laughs) Yeah, that's just anime logic. But that episode is also the saddest episode for me. I cried big time. So they're in um, Sardinia at this time because they're trying to, they're using moody blues to rewind time and the gang leaves Abacchio by himself and these kids are playing. One of them gets a ball stuck up in the tree and then, you know, Abacchio's like, I don't think I should leave this spot, but he does his little sigh and he goes to help the kids and bam, fucking dies. but not before uh moody blues turns to stone and leaves an impression of like the face of the boss in the rock that they can take which was a noble sacrifice and he gets to go to cop heaven i guess uh i was really insulted because out of all the deaths you show they show a in purgatory like let's get this straight first of all yeah purgatory is a cafe where you confront people you accidentally got killed and there's yeah. a bus it's a one horse town, and it's just you talking to your dead cop friends. Yeah, and the dead cop friend is basically like, "I forgive you for getting me killed. You've done so much good work. Now that you're not a cop." And then Abakio floats away to heaven. Um, I cried so much, and then little flowers go on his corpse. I was so mad. I love Abakio. Rip. <laughs> You, you can tell she's still very much affected by this. Listen, listen. He was, he was, a, he had the one of the most interesting stands, especially because, like, I love the Moody Blues as a band. So I thought it was really interesting that they, they had a, a stand with, like, the ability to rewind time. So that, I mean, that was really cool. Abakio's like a loyal dog. He's got one person that he follows, and that's it. And he doesn't like intruders, I guess. Um, but no, he had, he had some he had some good character development, where by the end, he at least respects Giorno. Nah, he's just like, Giorno, I hate you. Giorno speaks, and he's like, how dare this person breathe in my direction? But I like that energy. <laughs> that, that's why I like him. I just like that energy. Listen, of all of the gang to get killed off, I thought it would be Narancha first. You ain't wrong. I thought Misto, I thought they were all gonna die, except Giorno. I thought every single one of them was gonna die. I thought Giorno was going to end up betraying Bucciarati at the last minute and something bad would happen. But that's not what happened. So after this, they got to go to Rome because they got a communication from someone that knows about Diavolo. And then they encounter one of the most messed up stands, Green Day and Oasis. I think it's interesting that like, Oasis was Seko's ability because his name is like second, right? Like Kondo means second. But like Seko is very diminutive compared to Chocolata who has this very strange relationship with him where he doesn't even treat him like a man. He treats him like a damn dog. Which he literally, I love it. Seko, I need you to go and kill these people for me while I deal with these guys. Uh, I don't know about that. Would you do it for a Scooby snack? And the Scooby snack is just sugar cubes. I can't believe that that worked. It was really gross. That's another time. I thought Mista was going to die when they were fighting Green Day. When Seko realizes that Chocolata's dead while he's fighting Bruno, you think like, oh, he's so crazy. But instead he's like, ha, Chocolata was stupid. I'm going to be in charge now. I'm the stronger one. And then he also realizes that Bruno's dead. We get the confirmation. Bruno is some kind of walking corpse. I have to say the way Bruno like outsmarts him was very clever. (laughs) The whole deafening thing. That was great because he essentially could just like let nature take its course and let him get hit by a bus. The sad thing is that it ends up leaking Bruno out of so much of his remaining life that he ends up walking right into the arms. Of Dopio. And then leading Dopio to where they were going. Because Bruno at this point is essentially blind. He thinks it's Trish leading him because, I and I thought this was very interesting, almost mythological, where it's the child can sense when the father is near and the father can sense when the child is near. So much so that Dopio was able to trick Bruno into thinking that he was Trish. It's that emphasis of bloodlines coming through the work where the sense of family is so strong that they have this connection trish and diavolo almost have this mythological connection which is why diavolo wants trish dead because anyone who knows anything about trish and knows essentially like her aura her stand her psychic energy can trace diavolo that's the whole crux of of his mission to kill his daughter and anyone who knows him yep so when they finally get to the call we get my favorite reveal which is Polna from part three which Katerina could not appreciate this but just to see Polnareff in a wheelchair with his little like goggle I freaked out. I remember saying, oh, Katerina, you don't understand this. This is important. This is a big deal. I was just like, if you say so. (laughs) Everything that happens after this is just one, two, three punch of action happening. We were up till 3 a.m. watching all these episodes in a row. To see the Silver Chariot come back, that was a big plus for being a fan. And then getting all the lore that ties into the previous seasons where we find out Diavolo discovered the Arrow Stands and that he sold some to Enya who then was able to you know give Dio a stand and then tying that all back into this new mythical stand arrow that creates a requiem which is just a super powered up version of your psychic powers and that's exactly what they need to kill the boss and in this whole like fight sequence everybody ends up switching bodies which gives Bruno just just enough of a chance to live Yes, because Bruno's in the boss's body and Polnareff is in a turtle. (laughs) I loved that. Loved that. I spent, sadly, most of the show thinking that the turtle's name was Mr. President because how cute. But no, the turtle's name was Coco Jumbo and his stand was Mr. President. It's okay. I thought the same thing. I missed when they called him Coco Jumbo. It makes sense, though, because like if his stand is to create a little oval office in his body using that key, like it kind of made sense after. Like I thought about it. I was like, yeah, all right. So that was the best plot twist, because you see Diavolo kill Polnareff, which made me scream, because hasn't Jotaro suffered enough? All his other friends are dead. Let him have Polnareff. And he can, as a turtle. He's just, he just stays in the turtle at the end. Like Once everybody gets their bodies back pulled her after pulling the turtle and he's just like yeah you know my real buddy's dead and all of this leaves up to the final fight with golden wing requiem oof 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 indeed oof king crimson gets his ass kicked the thing about Diablo is Diablo's is another like extremely evil villain obviously we can't hit that point home but he's so cocky too he always thinks that he's like the best And that he knows everything. And because King Crimson can go ahead in time and see your movements for six seconds, like King Crimson's got it made. But uh uh uh, Golden Wing Requiem comes in and just hands the fist of justice. It was truly just. Because what is the most humiliating thing for somebody who can like manipulate time and like cheat it and wants to be all powerful than to like be rendered completely powerless? in an eternal loop of death scenarios that are all weak and humiliating. It was so satisfying to watch. Oh, oh my God. And when he's wounded and he falls into the river and Trisha's like, Giorno, we have to find him. He's going to get away. And Giorno's just like, that won't be necessary. (laughs) And like, that was cold. That was savage. In that fight, our boy, Mommy Dearest, Bruno Bucciarati, finally dies. We, you know, see his soul Go up to heaven with Narancha and Abakio. Oh, yeah, because Narancha died. I guess I didn't mention that part. I, I, whatever. That was pretty sad, only because, like, he just ended up speared on a gate. And I was like, wow! That was, uh, very callously done. It, like, happened instantaneously off screen. You just look up and there's blood dripping. I feel like that death didn't have a lot of emotional weight attached. I was sadder for Polnarev. You you really didn't like Narancia. I was I got annoyed with Narancia, but at the same time, I feel like the arc where um he was uh assaulted by the stand talking heads made me a little bit more sympathetic to him because he he tried so hard to warn his friends about oh we're being attacked by stand users, but his stupid tongue was replaced by that little freak. That was that was my little moment of sympathy for Narancia. I was like, all right, you're trying, yeah. I get that they were like, oh, he has the radar, and that's that. And it's like, okay, well, that's only useful for like a little bit. Yeah, and that's just, that's the whole series, except for the final two episodes, which are a prologue of sorts. But it's really great how Diablo's ultimate demise is just him constantly going through multiple realities where he's violently guilty. Like, think about the level of madness. That must induce. <sighs> you left off like the best part of this finale, which is Bruno's ascension into heaven in the most Renaissance-esque vision. That made me cry. Maybe that's why I didn't mention it. <laughs> it was beautifully done. But at the same time, I was just like, this, this motherfucker is speaking to Jorno from the sky. He was taken up like with angels and golden clouds. And he's like, it's okay, Jorno, You can do this. Bruno gets to go to heaven, but Abacchio is in fucking cop purgatory. <laughs> Cause it's you answered your own question. <laughs> it's cause Bruno never accidentally shot his partner while being a dirty cop. That's why Bruno was, Bruno was pretty noble. So I feel like it was only fair. Yeah, he was. And then the last two episodes are a prologue of sorts. And the whole time I was watching them, I was thinking, what is the point? This show is over. Well, I mean, at least I get to see more Bruno in my life. And it turns out that there was, there was a stand called the Rolling Stones. What it does is if you touch these stones, you can see a vision of your death. The whole prologue episode is Mista trying to prevent Bruno from seeing the stones and finding out how he's going to die because the stones are specifically seeking out Bruno. Bruno ends up touching the stones, but he doesn't see what's gonna happen next after because through a series of events the stones end up getting destroyed before bruno can look at them because mista prevents it because mista thinks bruno's gonna die if he touches these stones and at the end we re- we learn that these stones revealed oh my god I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it revealed the deaths of bruno Narancha and abacchio and by not seeing those stones, they ended up down this road of hardship. And that is exactly how Bruno learned about I Luca's death that led to his meeting of Giordano. And this whole series was about avoiding fate and how you can't. When something's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to you. And if they had seen stones, my boy wouldn't have died. That's what I'm saying. I think it's interesting, too, that, like, it's the stand that's, like, the Rolling Stones. Like, it's explicitly called the Rolling Stones when Bucciarati's stand is a Rolling Stones album. I'm Sticky sad fingers. now. So it's almost like they were, there was that connection from the get-go. It's like, ha. The other interesting part about the Rolling Stones is that the ending, the whole series, when I was watching the ending and the openings and noticed the imagery of the the statues and the rocks. I kept making a mental note thinking, why do they keep putting that in? And that's because of the Rolling Stone stand. The final credits of the show, which look essentially like a tomb with images of each stand and how the stands essentially die, just illustrated that this theme of fate was threaded throughout the entire series of part five. And it was just so cool to think about and it gave me a better appreciation for everything that happened like this was their fate like this had to happen the way that it did the ups and the downs they all were meant to meet Giorno giovanni and that is the summary of jojo's adventure part five it comes down to the big question katarina as someone who's unfamiliar with anime would you (laughs) recommend this to someone who knows nothing about anime Okay. Okay. I very much enjoyed it. It it really was a wild, wild, wild time. If you are brave of heart and strong in spirit, go for it. Plunge right in. Uh, embrace Jojo. Um, If you've never seen anime before, I mean, go for it. If, however, you're really looking to like dip your toes in and ease into anime on like a more uh, relaxed... Is that or casual uh, experience, may, maybe wait, <laughs> maybe wait for JoJo, because it, it does become a lot at some points from, from just being kind of gross uh, to, to being like, oh, wow, so much is happening all at once. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that said, it was a very good story. Uh, All the characters that were like that you were meant to root for were all really interesting and very personable and very unique in their in their character designs and in what they were trying to accomplish. And it it, it really was a good show. It's a little bit of a commitment because like 39 episodes, maybe Netflix has spoiled me because I was like, oh, 39 episodes. (laughs) So if you're looking for like a casual thing to like try, maybe this is not the gateway drug to anime for you. (laughs) But like, if you're adventurous and you're like, you know, this summary sounds intriguing, I say go for it. I mean, I I came out okay, I think on <laughs> on the other end. Well, it's funny that you say Netflix has spoiled you uh, with short form entertainment, but JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part Five is long for an anime. It's thirty nine episodes. A lot of shows are only twelve episodes, twelve to twenty. Thirty nine is long for a show with two seasons. For longtime anime fans, if if you've never watched Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, you gotta watch it. I kick myself in the butt for all the times that I turned around Jojo's, and for the kicking and the screaming it took for me to even sit down and watch part five, because I was dissatisfied with parts one through four. If that sounds like you, you should watch part five. It's really fun, and it's so different from the previous four parts. And I enjoyed it enough that it's got me reading the manga and I can't wait for whenever part six is animated because part six is even better than part five. I love Jolene Cujo; it's made me really excited. And if you watch all the seasons or all the different parts rather, it lets you appreciate the things that come down the pipeline more. So yeah, Phantom Blood's just okay. But it makes you appreciate everything that happens in Stardust Crusaders. And it's the thing that sets the stage for Parts 4 and Part 5. If you're someone who is new to anime, or you're someone who doesn't like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, and you've never seen it, I know it's uncouth or not very accepted to be a part skipper. But Part 5 may be what you need in order to get interested in Parts 1 through 4. In my opinion, it may be exactly what's required for you to become that lifelong JoJo stand. Sometimes you have to give people a little bit of a taste of the future in order to make them appreciate the past. I mean, that's why prequel shows exist. So what you could do, like if you feel guilty about being a part skipper, which I do not, I mean, you could always just like pretend that was the first thing that came out and then go and watch it the first few seasons and pretend they're prequels. And it's like, oh, it'll make sense now and you'll feel better about yourself yeah and it's just it was a really fun and good time it's it was one of the most enjoyable shows i've probably seen in the recent years probably in the last few years it's definitely i'm a jojo stan now i have been converted to jojo's bizarre adventure and this brings us to the point of our segment where we are going to discuss some fan stand. very brief but i've been dying to talk about this katarina i've been dying this takes In the early 2000s. This takes place in 2001. What band from the late 90s, early 2000s did you want to see represented in part five? You know, I mean, how funny would it be to see like like an insane band and you can be like a puppet, you know, like he puppets you, like in the music video. Oh my god, that's kinda like Enya's stand. Damn! Okay, well I haven't seen the There's, other thing, there's so multiple I... stands that do similar things, so it's okay. Okay. Well I mean, uh I mean there's that. Um you could have a Nirvana stand, because I mean that was 90s, right? Nirvana. I want heart-shaped box, all right? Heart-shaped <laughs> box is a female stand. It's got heart motifs and it has a shotgun. Oh my god! <laughs> It's a master marksman. They're enemies. They're enemies. <laughs> a heart shaped box would be an enemy stand for sure. Oh my god, what about like an Avril Lavigne stand? Are we counting her? Because, like, when did she come on the scene? Was it after 2001 or right before? Hmm, that's a good question. If we're being lenient with the early 2000s, I say yes, and hers is Skater Boy. <laughs> what does Skater Boy do? Is Skater Boy one of the like useless stands? boy's like, uh, I don't know, a a transport stand. Like, maybe he just teleports you somewhere, like, really fast on a skateboard. Or maybe he just, like, zips through things and, like, beats people up as he zips through crap. Oh, my God. I mean, I guess Green Day was an early 2000s. Well, they got started in the 90s, so, yeah. Like, part six takes place, I want to say, in 2011. And there's so far been only one stand in the, like rock genre that's made me really excited so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler or a tease there's a character named foo fighters Ooh, okay i was gonna ask about that because of our jokes about heart shaped box <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you and I have discussed this already, but I like the idea of the stand Fallout Boy being like, yes! like the most, like the big bad of the season because Fallout Boy can somehow control nuclear waste or something or make it spontaneously appear and like radiate. Yeah, like nuclear Fallout. I feel like there could probably be a My Chemical Romance stand. I feel like maybe uh, Black Parade. Yeah, it would definitely be Black Parade. If there was a My Chemical Romance stand, it would have to be Black Parade. I yeah. love that idea. That's my stand, Black Parade. Maybe his ability would be to lead you to your death like a pied piper. Oh my god. The stand only works on children. Oh, imagine. That would be really evil. He's like a henchman to Fallout (laughs) Boy. Yeah, yeah. This is the the season where it's all emo bands. Araki, you can take all of this. (laughs) Use it. (laughs) Yep. There's one called Panic at the Disco that's just like, it induces extreme anxiety. Oh, I have that stand. (laughs) It's either that or it makes you dance until you die. Oh, that's fun. That reminds me of the torture dance scene from part five that we didn't even talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, that could also, like, it could be reused as Panic! at the Disco or something. Yeah, that could be, like, an actual power. Is Papa Roach a stand? I don't know, but I hate it. (laughs) I hate that idea. Bugs. Bugs. Bug man. I I absolutely hate it. Um, Britney Spears' Toxic. <gasps> oh, that would be really cool, and she'd perform- be like a hero. I feel like Britney Spears and Black Parade and Heartbreak Box actually have chances. Yeah, who who else came out of like the last decade that's iconic? Oh, oh, what about Mr. Worldwide? That's that's it. Yes, Pitbull. <laughs> Well, it could be Pitbull and the power the attack is Mr. Worldwide. That would be like the protagonist stand. There's no way. Yes, Mr. Worldwide would be the protagonist stand. His power would involve gravity. Yeah, but it would be vague enough that it could do basically anything. I want a Mr. Worldwide. I think that could happen. I don't know how big... Pitbull's oh, iconic. Yeah, I don't know how big like Latino music is in Japan, but I feel like Pitbull is enough of a meme that this could happen. Yeah. But, oh god, I just I'm thinking about Mr. Worldwide. I want this to be a thing. <laughs> if we Get Robert E.O. Speedwagon. I mean, we're entitled to some characters with equally. Maybe like a Charlie Daniels. I'm here for MC romance. I mean, if there is a character named Anna Sui, I could get MC romance. Uh just uh the absolute absurdity. Listeners, tell us what your fan stand would be and what genre of music you like, and what you want to yeah. see uh represented in future parts of JoJo's. But yeah, maybe tweet at us your thoughts, maybe comment on our Instagram anything you want reach out to us we love fan participation and this is the official end of our review of jojo's adventure part five go watch it <laughs> you have your marching orders thank you for listening to Colbini Pop, your anime quick stop this is your host your favorite gang star, leah saying arrivederci and i am the sadly ineffectual stand katarina arrivederci